When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 403, and today we are talking about books being released on February 28th, 2023, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Kelly Jensen, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Kelly, hello! Hello! So last week, I finally did the thing that I've been threatening to do for a long time. I looked up the corresponding area code to the episode number and ended up with, like, Nebraska somewhere. And so this time I looked up area code 403 and it says that it serves Southern Alberta, Canada. Oh, interesting. There you go. Now you know. Now I know. Yeah. Yeah. But I had some people last week who were like, hi, I live in that area code. Hello. And I was like, cool. Very cool. So what's going on? Thank you for joining me again. Unfortunately, Patricia was unable to join us this week. So you're back to talk about more books. I am. Which I, I know you're excited to do. Yeah, I am. And like, I'm, you know, I, I wish Patricia were able to do her episode. But when I saw that this one was open, I was really excited because there are a number of books that publish uh, today that I was super excited to talk about. So it ended up working out nicely. Well, that's great. Can I tell you a little book-related story? Yeah. So uh, just a heads up to anyone listening, it involves creepy crawly things. So if you don't like those, just brace yourself. But so I have never read the Spiderwick Chronicles by Tony D. Terlizzi and Holly Black, which are now being released again because they're making a Disney Plus show about it. Have you ever read these? I have not, No. Yeah. So, I mean, they came out, I'm a little too old for, like, them to have come out when I was in school, and I just kind of miss them, and I know we always sold them at the bookstore and whatever, but... So, they got a nice surprise the other day. The publisher sent me a full set of the new edition of the series. And I was like, oh, and I was like, I should, you know, I don't even know what these are about. Are they about spiders? I don't know. So, like, 15 minutes later, I'm sitting at my desk, and to back up, I had taken a shirt out of my closet that I hadn't worn in a really long time, and... I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, I was like, ow! Like, something pinched me on the back, and it started to burn, and it was a spider! I got bit by a spider! And I was like, either this is a really weird coincidence, or this is the worst marketing campaign ever. <laughs> you know? I was like, ow, 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 ow! And my husband got home, like, a couple minutes later, and I went running out, and I was, like, whipping my shirt off. He's like, what is going on? And I was like, spider bite! I have a spider bite! And he's like, oh, yeah, you do! He's like, they cut you good. Oh. I was like... It got all, like, swollen. It was so miserable. But I was, like, weird. I hadn't thought about spiders in a long time. And then now I know to check the closet. Yeah, for real. We have a deal at my house. You know, like, like I cannot keep them out of the basement no matter how hard I try. But, like, the deal is that they need to stay down in the basement. <laughs> and occasionally they break that deal. So, yeah. I just thought that was really weird. Little jerks. Right? Yeah. <laughs> So I was very unhappy about that. And like all day long, I was like, hmm. But then it, it like felt better the next day. So that's good. I mean, these aren't spiders like, you know, they have out west kind of spiders or anywhere else, really. You know, I live in Maine. Our spiders are, are pretty harmless. So that's good. Yeah, same here. Yeah, ours are pretty harmless, too. Yeah, I appreciate that. <laughs> I don't I don't want any scary spiders. Um, so let's see. I'm trying to think if I have anything else exciting to tell you. Um, it's almost bird time. That I am very excited about. I'm like looking at bird feeders and like planning what I'm going to do because I got very into birding last year. And uh, now I'm like planning way ahead. Like I need these feeders for these birds and, and all this. So are you into birds at all, Kelly? I do like birds. I think as a, a kid, I was really, really into them and a little bit less so now. Like, but you brought this up and it made me think about somehow, like, I am sure this happens to you too. You get on a bunch of mailing lists for, mm-hmm. you know, whatever reason. Sometimes it's because you requested a book. Sometimes it's because you don't even know 
like anyway so i somehow got on this mailing list of like birder information with my book riot account so i get all kinds of like hilarious marketing about bird stuff like almost daily and i'm like uh i think you've got the wrong outlet but also like this is a pleasant change from uh some of the stuff i get in here so you know i do i do look (laughs) forward to that birding email that i get every day so Oh, that's exciting. I would much rather get that than, like, the email I got this morning that was riddled with spelling errors telling me that I had been approved for the $370 million financial aid that I had applied for. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I guess I was those like, wow, too. look at that. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even know I applied. Yeah. Sure, I'll go ahead and click all these links that you want me to click. <laughs> no. Do not click on the links. All right. So, we are going to talk about books now because we are both excited about that. But before we start, we are going to hear from our first sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Harper Muse, publisher of Troubled Waters. Troubled Waters is an intimate portrait of two generations, a granddaughter and a grandmother, coming to terms with what it means to be family, black women, and alive in a world on fire. In heartfelt lyrical prose, Mary Inez Hegler weaves an unforgettable story of the climate crisis, black resistance, and the enduring power of family. Narrated by Janice Abbott-Pratt and written by climate justice writer Mary Anise Hegler, the Troubled Waters audiobook is available everywhere May 7th. It follows Corinne as she plans to stage a dramatic act of resistance and peels back the scabs of her family wounds and puts her safety in jeopardy. Both grandmother and granddaughter must bring their unspoken secrets into the light to find a path to healing. Known for her essays that dissect and interrogate the climate crisis, drawing heavily on her personal experience as a black woman with deep roots in the South, Mary Inez Hegler brings us her first work of fiction titled Troubled Waters. Make sure to pick it up. Thanks again to Harper Muse, publisher of Troubled Waters, for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Song of the Silks Realms by Judy Eilin. Shi Wei is a talented young musician who was orphaned at a young age. Her sole family is a kindly uncle, but then her uncle is killed and she is, of course, devastated. With no family and no patron, Shi Wei is facing the possibility of a lifetime of servitude playing the chin. Then one night, she is unexpectedly called to perform for the enigmatic Duke Meng. He surprises Shi Wei further with an irresistible offer. Serve as a musician in residence at his manor for one year and he'll set her free of her indenture. But the Duke's motives become increased more sus when he and Shuei barely survive an attack by a nightmarish monster. It's like, what, <laughs> what's going on here? So this book is a sweeping epic romanticy that follows a talented young musician who is swept away to the celestial realm by an enigmatic young duke. And who doesn't want to be swept away to the celestial realm by an enigmatic young duke? She's living all our dreams, honestly. Make sure to check out the new book. And thanks again to Song of the Six Realms by Judy Eileen for sponsoring this episode. All right. So my first pick today is not a very long one. It's basically a novella. Yeah, I always say novella and I haven't actually ever looked up like what makes a novella. I think of novellas as being like a hundred... 120 pages, but like books that are up to like 250 pages are called novellas sometimes. Hmm. So I don't know how that works. But this is a novella from Tor. It's called The Crane Husband by Kelly Barnhill. And she's been very busy lately. She had the book out last year when Women Were Dragons, which was her adult fantasy debut, I believe. And she had The Ogress and the Orphans, which was a middle grade book that was absolutely wonderful and was nominated for a bunch of things um, that I absolutely loved. And so like I said, this is just a little book and it's based on the story of the crane wife, which I like knew a little bit of because I looked it up when the Decemberists did like their songs. I was going to say like the Decemberists is what I think of because I know the story from the song. Yep. So I went, I did like a deep dive into like Wikipedia, basically Wikipedia, that's my deep dive. (laughs) And it's, it's, there's like various versions of this, but basically in each one, it's like about a crane who is injured somehow and a man rescues the crane and like nurses it back to health. 
And then either it turns into a woman or, like, a beautiful woman approaches him later and says, I used to be the crane. Or, like, he doesn't know that the beautiful woman who approaches him was the crane. And in, like, the most popular version, a man rescues a bird from hunters and a beautiful woman shows up later and says, I'm here to be your wife. And he's like, I can't feed you. I can't afford, you know, anyone else. And she has a bag of never-ending rice, like, just continues to feed them forever. And then she also makes clothing. She goes in this room and she's like, don't come in here. And she makes clothing and, but she's also getting, like, very ill as time goes by. And it turns out that she's making clothing from feathers and parts of her own body that he is selling for money. And eventually one day he opens the door and sees her in there and realizes she's the crane that he saved. And she's like, ah, you ruined it. Now I have to leave. So there's, like, various versions of that. But in this story, it's set in the near future America, and the narrator is a 15-year-old teenage girl, and she lives on this old farmland with her mother and her little brother, who's like like nine or ten years younger than her. And this farmland is not farmed by farmers anymore. Farmers do not exist. In this world, towns are now run by corporations. Basically, they're just covered with surveillance, like drone cameras and stuff. Like the mayor doesn't even live there. He like checks in by email and stuff. And the towns or the farms are run by corporations. They're farmed by robots. There are drones that police the skies. There are also drones that police the lands to make sure that no bugs, no birds, no animals, no humans get into the farmland. Um, And it's a kind of a dreary existence. This young girl and her brother and mother, who is an artist, are just scraping by. Her mother makes cheese that she sells Um, And she makes tapestries that she sells that people are just enamored with. But her father died when the girl was nine. And since then, her mother has been consumed with sadness. And so she's not able to produce like she used to. So they're, they're having a hard time. And since her father died, her mother has had a series of lovers, but... They never stay. She never She never keeps them around. You know, the girl just remarks that, like, occasionally someone comes home with her and then they leave and they don't see them again. Uh, and then one day, uh, her mother comes home with a giant crane, a giant bird, not like the construction thing, but like a giant bird who is taller than her mother. And her mother is obviously enamored with this bird. Um, you know, she tells the girl and her brother that he's going to stay for dinner and... The girl and, and her brother immediately don't don't like him, but th- it's obvious that her mother is under his spell. Uh, and so now the girl is trying to keep her family together as her mother loses more and more of herself to this bird. Like, she starts creating again. She's making things. She's not sleeping. She's becoming more ill. So it's sort of like a different retelling of the crane wife, except the woman who is losing herself in the story is the human, not the bird. It's very beautiful and sad, and I have to say, I like to go and read the Goodreads reviews after I read a book, and there was one from someone that was just, it just said, gotta be in the mood for something really effing weird when you read this one. (laughs) That made me laugh, because it is very strange, giant bird man, but it's really fantastical and fun. It is The Crane Husband by Kelly Barnhill. My first pick is one that I'm sure people are going to hear about because it's getting a huge marketing uh, push and for good reason. And that is She is a Haunting by Trang Tun Tran. If you are a reader looking for a book that will creep you out, then you don't need to look any further. Um, I'll start with noting that this book, speaking of uh, creepy crawlies, this book has a lot of insect horror. So if that kind of stuff grosses you out. Know that going in ahead of time and prepare accordingly. So it is summer after her senior year of high school, and Jade is preparing to go to the University of Pennsylvania in the fall. The hitch is the cost. She doesn't want to take out loans to pay for school, and her mother certainly can't help. Despite being estranged from her father, who left the family years ago, Jade agrees to visit him for five weeks during the summer to help restore the French colonial home he's working on in Vietnam. It is going to be a lot of work, and it's going to take a lot of Jade's patient to make it, but that money and the future are important to her. She sees university as her opportunity to be the fully queer Vietnamese-American that she has had to keep under wraps. So Jane arrives at her father's house, and things are bad from the start. She's informed that she's going to be spending her time working with Florence on building the website for the house that is currently being restored. Ba is not going to be living in the house he's restoring. He's instead 
going to be using it as a vacation destination for wealthy folks to stay in. Every night, Jade finds herself further and further disturbed by this house. She's seeing things, she's seeing ghosts, and she is heeding the warnings of one of the ghosts who is dressed as a bride. Jade is warned by this woman, this ghost woman, not to eat anything. There are bugs everywhere, and there are remnants of Jade's ancestors throughout the estate. Ba doesn't believe that there's anything weird going on, and neither does Jade's sister, who's there as well. But Jade knows something isn't right. And this house is literally out to kill them. Um, So how can she convince her dad and her sister that the house is no good? To do that, she has to team up with Florence to do something big. And they might need to create their own series of hauntings to get them to pay attention. But by the time Ba and her sister notice it might be too late, the house may have taken total control. So I love this. This was an engaging, twisty, compelling story of a haunted house. And it reminded me a lot of what a mashup between Tiffany D. Jackson's White Smoke and Diva Zagarpar's House of Yesterday would be. Um, There are spirits haunting the house, but it's not about the ghosts, really. It's about what causes ghosts to linger in space. So for Jade, it's learning to unravel and unpack generations of colonialism that left her ancestors as little more than relics in this home, pushed to the edges and margins by wealthy white people who took over their country and their homes. So as Jade learns more about her ancestors and her father's investment property, the more she's able to communicate with the home and determine what needs to be done in order to save her and her family. The setting is phenomenal, and Jade is a really complex and at times biting character. She's wrestling with a lot of changes in her life while also recognizing that she's been central to the story her father tells about why he left the family and moved back to Vietnam from the U.S. There's a lot of grief here, but there's also hope. Jade wants to really be fully and wholly herself, but until she can recognize the humanity of others in their complexity, she can't really do that for herself. I think I mentioned this at the top, but this book is getting a lot of buzz and for really good reasons. It's haunting, it's scary, and it's very much not about the haunted house at all, while also being very much a haunted house story. Bonus, the writing is gorgeous and evocative with lines that really beg you to reread them. And yes, even the lines about insects uh, being where you never, ever want them to be or see them are also beautiful. And that is... She is a haunting by Trang Tun Tran. This was just announced as the Barnes and Noble March YA pick, I believe. And she was at Neba on the day that she got to see her cover for the first time. And she was so excited and like her eyes were just like lit up because she was so excited. And I was like, that is an amazing cover. I mean, it's just, I look at it all the time and go, wow, that's just amazing. It's terrifying. Like won the the cover lottery. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it really captures the spirit of the book. So my next pick for today, um, unfortunately, one of my picks got moved so I have not read my other picks, but I have a lot of things to say about them and about other books. Uh, and I'm going to kick it off with Liliana's Invincible Summer, A Sister's Search for Justice by Christina Rivera Garza. If you haven't heard of Christina Rivera Garza, she is a Mexican author and professor. She is known for her fiction. Um, her last few books uh, came out with Dorothy, a publishing project, which is one of my very favorite indie presses. They're amazing. They do incredible stuff. I've talked about their books on the show before. Um, and I'm really interested in this one because uh, one of our coworkers, Jamie Canavez, who does a lot of our mystery and true crime content read it and said it was excellent. So uh, this is nonfiction. It's a memoir. And in it, Rivera Garza revisits the 1990 murder of her sister who was killed by her ex-boyfriend. And Rivera Garza goes back to Mexico City almost 30 years later. It's been like 29 years since her sister was killed. uh, And she's decided she wants to learn as much as she can about the case now. Like, she's ready. She wants to learn about it. She wants to learn about partner violence that happened in the area. She wants to learn more about the man who did this. And she's going to examine how the loss of her sister affected who she is today. And she takes a closer look at partner violence and murder. It sounds really lovely, 
and really sad. And she's an excellent writer. I've read some of her fiction, so I'm really looking forward to reading this. It's Liliana's Invincible Summer, A Sister's Search for Justice by Christina Rivera Garza. So my next pick, I'm so excited to talk about. It came out last week, but I'm talking about it this week because y'all didn't cover it on the show. And it is Nocturne by Alyssa Weiss. And I'm going to begin by disclosing that I sat across from Alyssa on many a writing date prior to the start of the pandemic. And so I was sitting with her as she wrote some of the words for this book. Um, We're friendly. We're local to each other. That said, I know that this book is going to tick a million boxes for so many readers, and I want to talk about it for that reason. Um, It's set in 1930s Chicago in the Little Hell region of the city, more formally known as Little Sicily. This is where Grace grew up, her life full of her cultural heritage. But she experienced a series of grave losses in her young age, first her brother to street violence, then her mother who died from poor health, aided by several factors, and Grace's father has never been in the picture. So Grace is our 20-year-old main character. She's a dancer and she is quite poor. She lives in the boarding house of the dance studio where she performs, and it's a house that's filled with stories and fairy tales, mythology of a girl who once died while living there, whose ghost maybe still haunts the space. Perhaps this girl is tied to the mistress of the studio herself. So the story begins when Grace's best friend, Amelia, is about to depart the company. And it's it's because she's going to be married soon. And so she's ready to move on from her life of performance. And now they're on the search for who the next prima will be. Um, When it's Grace who's announced as the prima ballerina, everyone is shocked except for Amelia. Grace doesn't think she's better than her peers. And so... She's a little nervous about this, but rather than deny the chance, she decides she's going to step into it and be the best prima that she can be. So as the season's first performance is underway, the news spreads that the theater, which has been in desperate need of a patron um, and is really struggling with money, has found one. And that patron names Grace is the reason for his interests. So desperate to know who this patron may be. Grace herself doesn't know anybody with money or power or wealth and certainly has no idea how somebody could have fallen so quickly for her and and her talents to want to give money that she decides she's going to sneak out to the theater and try to get a look at this guy. He's not there, though. His assistant is. He'll let Grace know more when he can about her patron. But in the meantime, her patron has left a gift and it's a violin that was once played by a family friend who died too soon. Grace has no idea how he got this, and now she's, like, super suspicious about who this patron is. And what ends up unraveling is a magical story that twists together several beloved fairy tales, all taking a darker edge than their often disney versions. It's a little bit Beauty and the Beast, a little bit Phantom of the Opera, and a little bit of the myth of Hades and Persephone. Grace learns that her patron, Master La Rosa, has offered his mansion to her to live in with one promise from her, that... Every Sunday night, she will waltz with him. Knowing Amelia is gone, moving on to her life after the company, she knows that a target is on her back from those who believe that she didn't deserve the role of Prima. So Grace somewhat reluctantly agrees to this arrangement. And when she gets to the mansion, she sees that not everything is as it seems. Um, She kind of knew it wouldn't be. But the more she gets to know the master, the more she learns that he is not human He is instead death, and he promises her entry into Nocturne, his magical world where all of the beloved people from Grace's life are waiting for her. All she has to do now is agree to marry him, and she will become queen in this palace. Grace is torn. She can't say yes, though. Uh, She's not ready to give everything up, even when she has so little um, in her life to really look forward to. So this is a compelling lyrical story of fate, of life, of death, and about what it means to have to make the ultimate choice in exchange for safety, security, and ease. It's twisty and turny and carefully weaves in beautiful moments of music with the art of ballet and the ways in which death and sleep work to impact a person's life. If you are a fan of language and description, this is a treat. And it was so fun to see all the allusions and homages to classic tales. The setting is really grand, too. One of the conversations Alyssa and I had had during our writing dates early on was the ways that Sicilians as immigrants, how they were treated in Chicago. And it's something that both of us as Sicilians from the Chicago area had spent so much time like researching and learning about. And it was so cool to see how that played into this this book. 
is there romance in here? It's hard to tell you. Um, I don't know that I describe what sparks between the master and Grace's romance, but I do think there's a really powerful story here of friendship that emerges between Amelia and Grace. And that friendship is really crucial in helping Grace make a decision about her future with the master. This is an adult book, but it's perfectly fine for YA readers. And I think it'd be a great read-alike to Nova Rensuma, particularly her book, The Walls Around Us. And I think too, it's a nice fit with readers who love the work of Laura Ruby. And that is Nocturne by Alyssa Weiss. I was going to ask you that because I have a copy of this book. I haven't read it yet, but I did know that it was being billed as an adult novel, but I keep seeing it on all these YA roundups. And so I was like, is that just because it has like a cartoony caricature kind of cover or is it because like it's also appropriate for YA? So now you have answered my question. Yeah, I think part of it is because Alyssa's debut was YA. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's it. The main character is 20. So she's beyond like YA. But in terms of content and storytelling, like I would hand it to a YA reader without reservation. Yeah. I want to read it because, I don't know, for some reason, reading the description reminded me a little bit of this book I loved many years ago called The Girls at the Kingfisher Club by Genevieve Valentine, which is the retelling of, oh goodness, what is it called? Seven Dancing Sisters? Seven Yeah, Dan- Seven Dancing. I think it's Seven Dancing Brides. Is that it? That's it. Yeah. yeah that. And I think, yeah. I think that fairy tale is also woven into this one as well. Um, it was really interesting yeah. to read the Goodreads reviews on this one where people were like, uh, frustrated that it wasn't a straight retelling of like one of them but rather a whole bunch and it's yeah. like that's kind of the point like the point was to kind of play with these ideas i just i yeah. thought it was awesome it was fun to like pick them out as a reader excellent okay so those are books that we have read and enjoyed or in my case one of them i read and enjoyed um and now we're going to talk about a few more books out today that we haven't necessarily read but we are excited about i'm going to kick it off with the adventures of amina al safari by shannon chakraborty you might recognize that name because S.A. Chakraborty is the author of the City of Brass trilogy. They are one in the same. I do not know why she's going by Shannon for this one and not S.A., but we're still excited to have new work from her. This is a start of a new trilogy about pirates and magic, which is very exciting. Pirates are very in right now. Um, I feel like our flag means death is like the new comp that I keep seeing everywhere. It's kind of like pushing knives out now. Now everything else is like, I'm going to comp it to our flag means death, which is a fantastic show. And if you haven't watched it, you should do that right now. And this is about a pirate named Amina Al-Safari, in case you couldn't tell from the title. Uh, she's a retired pirate of the highest order. She was a grand pirate. She had the greatest adventures. She outlived several husbands and enemies. And now all she wants to do is live a life of quiet retirement. Kind of like the Joe Pirate Roberts. And then she gets a visit from the mother of one of her former crew members who has tracked her down and she makes her an offer. She says that if she can locate a missing girl, she will give her a sum of money, like, so exorbitant that Amina just cannot say no to this money. I mean, she will be set and everyone around her will be set, you know, for life if she if she does this. But as she sets out, it becomes apparent that it's a lot more complicated than just looking for a missing girl. And maybe she should have stayed at home. So... I am very excited. This is one that I'm definitely going to buy a physical copy of because I I just loved the City of Brass trilogy. I I love uh, her writing. I've probably told this story before, but I actually traveled to New York City to see Shannon when the first book came out, City of Brass, and she had her four-year-old daughter with her. And it was one of the greatest, like, readings I've ever attended because every time her mother said something... Like, if her daughter interpreted it as slightly amusing, she would do this giant, like, belly laugh, and it would just make everybody in the audience laugh every time. And so there was a lot of laughing at that event, and it was just so cute. It's one of my favorite events that I've ever attended. So uh, I'm very excited to read this. It is The Adventures of Amina Al-Safari by Shannon Chakraborty. And Kelly, what do you have for us next? I have read... Oh, well... I've read all of one of my next books and three quarters of the other. So, um, hey, that's good. Yeah, you're getting actual like I read the thing. So the first one is Chaos Theory by Nick Stone. And 
I've talked about Nick Stone before. I think she's an author who has tremendous range. Her characters are always distinct, and she's played around with genre in really interesting ways. This book, according to her author's note, was written before she had had her breakout, Dear Martin, and it went like signif- under significant revisions and changes. It also does something I've never seen before in a novel, that an author's note is interwoven in the text itself, such that you need to read the author's note in order to finish the book. It's really clever, and it will make a huge impact for teens especially who pick up this book and see themselves or someone they love. Content warnings on this one have to do with mental health. Stone's book is an unflinching look at alcohol use and abuse, and it talks as well about suicide. So Shelby is starting her senior year of high school at a new place in Georgia called Windward Academy, and she's not really interested in making a lot of friends, and she doesn't plan to be there long, and because of her history. She'd rather just kind of forget about what brought her to this place anyway. But the night the story begins, she gets a text from a wrong number, and while she engages with the texter and learns they've been drinking at a party, Shelby warns them not to drive home. So when Shelby is being driven home and goes past a car which has crashed, she begins to think about the person that she had been texting with. And as we'll learn, she goes back to the scene of the accident, tying her to the person who is involved in a very life-changing way. So Andy Criddle is dealing with a host of changes in his family, and he's drinking again. After his little sister's death, one which he blames himself for and the loss of his grandfather shortly before that he is dealing with tremendous grief and oh his mom is running for a political role wherein she's pretending to be the biggest right-wing politician out there on a pro-family anti-abortion platform uh one which she is a hypocrite for advocating for all the reasons that will become clearer as the story unfolds so soon shelby and andy are connected and they're really um gelling with each other they've been texting and mysterious to each other no more. They had been the ones who were texting when the story opens. But Shelby, who has become privy to Andy's struggle with alcohol, thinks to her is learning that he was the person behind the accident that she sh- she saw. And she is too scared to open up to him, to tell him that she too struggles with her mental health and that it was her mental health that led her to leaving her life in California for the one in Georgia. So when she finally feels ready to tell him, she does so with a list of rules that outline what he can and cannot expect from a friendship with her. One of those rules is that they cannot fall in love at all. Um, Of course, you can probably guess what happens and what happens when Andy makes a decision while under the influence that does tremendous damage to Shelby emotionally and that makes her wonder why she opened up with him at all. Meanwhile, Shelby is unaware of what Andy walked into that rocked his already fragile world and led him to choose alcohol to find comfort. So this is a story of two very challenged teens who are doing their best to move through their respective days. Both Shelby and Andy are teens of color, both struggle with mental illnesses, too often underrepresented by people like them in pop culture. Shelby has bipolar disorder and Andy struggles with substance use. Though both know that they can make one another's issues worse, they also know that when they're together, they click in really powerful ways. Um, It is, as Shelby would describe, something as magical and mysterious as the cosmos. So too, it is inevitable falling for one another romantically. One of the things I love about Stone's writing is she knows how teenagers talk and interact with each other, and there's nothing here that feels outside the realm of today's teens. Even Andy's silly love for the books that Shelby's mom, who is a famous author, writes feel wholly age-appropriate and charming and like slightly cringy in the best way. Um, the two characters interact like teens, and the book is peppered with realistic texting between them that doesn't feel like a distraction but gives more heft and honesty to their relationship parents in this one of both characters are well done and it's neat to see how much Andy ends up looking up to Shelby's parents while Shelby tries to distance herself from them and it's Shelby's mom the author that Andy loves who ends up helping him make some major life-changing decisions and this one to teens wanting a romance with some tough topics woven in mental health is at the forefront here and it's handled really quite well Both Shelby and Andy's struggles will resonate with readers, and like I said before, the way the author's note is embedded in this one at the end of the book is unlike anything I've seen before, and I think will truly connect with young readers who are itching to be seen and heard and understand as really complex, multidimensional people. And that is Chaos Theory by Nick Stone. Okay, before I tell you about my last pick, we are going to hear from another sponsor. (laughs) 
This episode is sponsored by The One That Got Away With Murder by Trish Lundy. Robbie and Trevor Cressmont have enough wealth to ensure they'll never be found guilty of any wrongdoing, even if everyone believes they're behind the deaths of their ex-girlfriends. Let us all take a collective angry sigh at that. Lauren O'Brien, the new girl at school, has a dark past of her own, and she's desperate for a fresh start. Except when she starts a relationship with Robbie, her chance is put in jeopardy. During what's meant to be their last weekend together, Lauren stumbles across evidence that might just implicate Robbie. And after a third death rocks the town, she must decide whether to end things with Robbie or risk becoming another cautionary tale. This is an edge-of-your-seat YA thriller that's perfect for fans of Karen McManus and Holly Jackson. Make sure you pick that up now wherever books are sold. And thank you once again to The One That Got Away With Murder by Trish Lundy for sponsoring today's show. Today's episode is brought to you by Sourcebooks Landmark. So King Solomon says something very interesting to his son before he dies, and that is, quote, don't let the white man take the house, end quote. These, as I just mentioned, are King Solomon's last words to his son as he dies. Now, all four Solomon siblings must return to North Carolina to save the kingdom, their ancestral home, and 200 acres of land from a development company. Told in alternating viewpoints, Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris is a searing portrait of the power of family and letting go of things that no longer serve you, exploring the burden of familial expectations, the detriment of miscommunication, and the lessons and legacies we pass on to our children. It's an explosive and emotional story of four siblings, each fighting their own personal battle, because who isn't, who return home in the wake of their father's death. Make sure to check out Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris. And thanks again to Sourcebooks Landmark for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so I'm very excited about this next one. I say that about every book. I know, I know, I know. It's called Slime, A Natural History by Suzanne Wedlich, translated from German by Eka Trukoglu. I wanted to read this one because a few years ago, and I think I even talked about it on the show, I read a book called Slime, How Algae Created Us plague us and just might save us by ruth cassinger and it was a really fascinating book i learned more than i ever possibly knew i wanted to know about slime and algae and then last year i think it was last year when a house between earth and the moon by rebecca sherm came out part of the plot is that the scientist is saving the world by creating this algae that's going to eat up the carbon dioxide in the, the atmosphere and I was like, it's plausible because I know because I read about slime. So slime is just very, very interesting. And I am wildly interested to read another book about it. I actually became fascinated many years ago with a certain kind of slime before I even read these books. I don't remember how I stumbled upon this, but there is this substance that scientists call star jelly, which is this squishy like substance found in the woods and it's been around forever. Folklore used to call it um, star jelly because they said it fell from the stars. And the Welsh even have a name for it, which I cannot find a pronunciation of it, so I'm going to mangle it right now, called Pwedrasair, which literally means rot of the stars. And it's just like this like weird squishy stuff that is found in the woods. It's found like near mushrooms and on plants and and there's not like a whole lot like really known about it still. But it's really fun to read about. Like if you go online and, and read about star jelly, um, especially like the old accounts of people finding it because before scientific knowledge was widespread, you know, before we had the internet and telephones to talk about this stuff, people were finding pieces of it, sometimes really big pieces of it, and being like this must be an alien, or what is this? Uh, in 1950, in Philadelphia, they found a six-foot piece of star jelly that no one understood what it was or where it came from, and it ended up influencing a very famous movie, which was The Blob. That is where the influence for The Blob came from. And I also want to mention, while I'm talking about squishy things, that uh, last week I read Things in the Basement by Ben Hatke, who is an amazing graphic novelist. Um, this is a middle-grade novel, uh, coming out in August, and it's about a kid whose little sister's sock is missing, so his mother asks him to go in the basement and look for it, and while he's trying to find this sock, a rat runs away with it and goes down this hole, and he moves stuff, and he finds out there's a set of stairs, 
And he keeps going like down, 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 down into the center of the earth looking for things. And the big bad that he meets is like this giant sentient thing of jello with teeth, like an even more evil Slimer from Ghostbusters. And it was very exciting. Um, and I can't wait for everyone to read that. But back to this slime book. This book purports to look at all things slimy, sticky, and oozy. From creatures, to stuff you find on the ground, to other sticky things in the natural world. And, like I learned from the earlier slime book, algae is reportedly the very first thing that was that ever occurred on the Earth. Which is not something you would think about, like, like algae being that. But it's true! Uh, and you'll learn all about that in this book, and in those other books that I mentioned, and hooray for slime! Which, uh, while I'm reading this, and like, uh, reading these notes and talking about it, I keep thinking of, you can't do that on television, <laughs> just like waiting for the slime to come. Um, but this one is called Slime, A Natural History by Suzanne Wedlich, translated from German by Aika Turkoglu. I love that this episode has been about uh, spiders and slime. Like, we've got a theme. Bugs, slime. Yeah. <laughs> it happens. It does. Spring is coming. <laughs> So my last pick is, like, the opposite of everything we have talked about. It is The Neighbor Favor by Christina Forrest. And I love Christina's YA, and I knew I would pick up her debut adult romance as soon as I could. And it has been such a bomb for me right now. I ha- I hope to finish it before recording, but I haven't. But I'm at, like, 75% in and feel totally fine recommending it. So... Stories about Lily, who is one of three sisters. She's in her mid-20s and feeling really adrift in her life in New York City. Her career began in a bookstore where she found this book by an author who looked like her. She's a black woman. He's a black man. And it's a children's fantasy novel featuring black elves. And that made her, like when she read this book, that made her want to pursue a career in children's publishing. Unfortunately, like, that hasn't been going well, and right now she's working as an assistant to a really demanding editor who works in adult nonfiction. It's not what she wants at all, but she knows that, like, this is how she gets her foot in the door. As she's on the subway heading home after a long, super hot day, she decides she's going to um, look up the author of this book. This author has never had a website before, and this time when she looks, she finds a website, and she finds that he has an email contact address. So she starts to write him a message about how much this book meant to her and she gets about halfway through the message and passes out she doesn't think that she has actually sent this like overly uh fangirly message but she did and over the course of several months lily and the author who goes by the nickname strick have a budding relationship over email he travels the world for his job he's a travel writer but her interest in him helps him develop an interest in her too It's like this very sweet, like, butterfly feeling romance until he disappears off the face of the planet days before they were supposed to have, like, a video date. So the next few months are a blur for Lily, and she's feeling pressured to find a date to the wedding of one of her sisters. She has had to leave the apartment she was living in to move in with her sister um, since she can no longer afford to live on her own, and she was just not loving the roommate situation she was in. So when a very cute new guy shows up at the apartment complex, she's smitten, even if she is completely tongue-tied. He seems to be a super reader, and he loves fantasy books, and she is hoping that, like, next time she sees him, she can work up the nerve to talk with him. Then they begin to talk, which leads him to her apartment, and him realizing that Lily is the girl he ghosted via email, uh, the girl who loved his book, and the girl that he just could not be with. But now she's asking him a favor. Can he help her find a date to her sister's wedding? And no, it does not need to be him. So I love the setting of this book. I love the voices. I love the way the world of publishing and passion for literature all tie together in this one. I'm eager to finish um, as I know there's going to be happily ever after, which is what I really need right now. And I'm rooting for both characters, though I'm so curious what is going to happen when Nick has to divulge that he is the author and he's the one who ghosted Lily, um, because as of now, we don't know what's going to happen. Um, so I'm wondering how he will make uh, sense out of his creative untruths. And that is The Neighbor Favor by Christina Forrest. All right. So those are books we are excited about. Now I am going to do like a speed round of books coming on paperback today because there are so many amazing books coming on paperback today, including two of my very favorite books from last year, starting with 
Unlikely Animals by Annie Hartnett, which was my favorite book of 2022 about the young woman from a small town in New Hampshire who used to have the gift of healing but hasn't used it in many years. And her mother calls her home from med school in California because her father is dying and she thinks that her mother wants her to help heal him. And so she has to try and help her father, who himself is talking to ghosts of actual naturalists from New Hampshire. Meanwhile, they are both looking for her missing high school friend uh, who the police have given up on. Uh, and it's full of animals and just all kinds of weird and fun stuff. I just love this book so, so much. Every time I read it, I I love it more. Another of my favorites from last year is Nettle and Bone by T. Kingfisher, the very prolific T. Kingfisher. This one is about a princess who leaves her life in the convent to exact revenge on a prince for hurting her older sisters. She is joined by a former soldier, a fairy godmother, a grave witch, and a chicken possessed by a demon like you do. Um, If you like Kingfisher's horror, she has a horror book out next month on the 28th called House with Good Bones. And if you like more of the fairy tale side of her writing, she has a book out in August called Thornhenge, which is a Sleeping Beauty retelling of sorts, which I enjoyed quite a bit. It reminded me a lot of Princess Florilinda and the Forty Flight Tower by Tamsin Muir. Also out today, well, that escalated quickly, Memoirs and Mistakes of an Accidental Activist by Francesca Ramsey. This is her memoir. She is a star of an MTV show, and she talks about her accidental journey into activism. True Biz by Sarah Novick, a novel about a teacher and her students at a boarding school for the deaf. Nora Goes Off Script by Annabelle Monahan. I actually bought this one because one of my friends told me this was the best book that she read last year. I still have not read it, but it sounds great. It's a it's about a romance screenwriter who writes like Hallmark Channel type movies. Uh, and when her husband leaves her, she writes a script about it and, it and it's made into a hit movie. And then she kind of gets involved with the, the actor who is playing her husband. Oh, Beautiful by Jung Yun, which is about a former model on assignment in North Dakota who is covering the oil boom and finds herself one of the only women in the town. The Book of Cold Cases by Simone St. James, which is a thriller about a young woman who has a true crime podcast and lucks into an interview with another resident of her town who herself was uh, arrested but never charged with several murders many years before. Checkout 19 by Claire Louise Bennett. This was one of the New York Times top five novels of last year about a young schoolgirl who is a burgeoning writer and a rabid reader. Glory by No Violet Bulweo. This is an animal farm-like story about an animal regime in a fictional country. I have not read this one yet, but I am excited to because I loved We Need New Names, her last book. South to America, A Journey Below the Mason-Dixon to Understand the Soul of a Nation by Imani Perry. This was the winner of the 2022 Book Award for Nonfiction. This is a memoir and a history. It's Perry's investigation of the South now and in the past. The Invisible Kingdom, Reimagining Chronic Illness by Megan O'Rourke. This was a National Book Award finalist for nonfiction. It is a look into the blurb tells us invisible illness that encompasses autoimmune diseases, post-treatment Lyme disease syndrome, and now long COVID. Iron Widow by Zhejiang Zhejiao. This is a young adult novel set in a future where people use Pacific Rim-type fighting robots to fight equally large invaders on the planet. Uh, but something about uh, the pairings, there have to be a male and female pilot, uh, and when the fighting is over, the women almost always die, and the main character wants to get revenge against a pilot who was responsible for the death of her sister. Peach Blossom Spring by Melissa Fu. This is a debut novel of three generations of a Chinese family and a woman who wants to know more about her heritage, but whose father refuses to talk about his past. There are two great collections out in paperback today. One is The Way Spring Arrives and Other Stories, a collection of Chinese science fiction and fantasy in translation from a visionary team of female and non-binary creators edited by Yu Chen and Regina Kanyu Wang. And also Dark Stars, New Tales of Darkest Horror, edited by John F.D. Taff. And there is a book out 
a paperback original today that I'm very excited to read because one of my other friends just told me this is her favorite book of the year. It is The Magician's Daughter by H.G. Perry. It is set in early 1900s Ireland, and it's about a baby who mysteriously washes up on shore and the magician who raises her. And when he disappears years later, she has to leave their home for the first time to find him. So those are a bunch of amazing books. I've read many of those. They're incredible. Very excited to read The Magician's Daughter. Kelly, what are you going to read next? So I am going to finish up The Neighbor Favor, and I am currently listening to How Far the Light Reaches, A Life in Ten Sea Creatures by Sabrina Imbler, which is this fascinating book about sea life creatures. Um, I've gotten through the first few chapters. It's about the creatures, including so far the goldfish, the octopus, but it's also a really wonderful memoir. Just, oh, it's so good. What about you? What are you reading? Everyone is talking about that book. I think that was also a Barnes & Noble pick, and everyone I know who has read it just loves it to pieces. I'm going to have to read that soon. I am reading Black Sheep by Rachel Harrison. Very excited about this. Harrison wrote The Return and Cackle and... What was the other one? Such Sharp Teeth, I think, about werewolves. And this one is about a family cult. And I'm <laughs> to relax and just read something like easy on my brain. I recently picked up Ramen, Wolf, and Curry Tiger, Volume 1 by Emboss, which is a manga. Uh, the second in this is out today. It just... I couldn't say no to this. It says, it's a charming new manga about a pair of furry foodies. Meet your new favorite food critics, a chubby wolf named Midajiro and a ripped tiger named Yanagi. (laughs) I was like, okay, you got me. That sounds amazing. Yeah. I'm a big fan of like, there are so many now. I had the one about the cat who like has a cafe and the one about the polar bear who serves drinks and... Apparently, I'm just a, a big sucker for any kind of animal-related cat massage therapy ones. <laughs> so. I loved cat massage therapy. Yeah. Like, I loved it. It was so comforting. Yeah. So, I, I just got this, and I'm looking to read this tonight uh, and relax and and probably be very happy about what I'm reading. And that is it for us today. Thank you to all our sponsors. Thank you to Kelly Jensen for filling in. Thank you to our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink. You can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com if you want to talk about your favorite furry foodie manga. You can find us online. Kelly, what's your Twitter situation? Ugh, I'm still there. <laughs> I think I said this last time, but like, you know, the image on Titanic, which just celebrated its 25th birthday. Yeah. The image in that film of the violin players as the ship is sinking. Yeah. Like that that's how I feel. Um, I'm there at Veronica Kelly Mars. All right. And you can find me. I mostly hang out on Instagram, although today I was on Twitter bemoaning how Metallica lost to Jethro Tull in 1989 on the Grammys, uh, because I do that every year on its anniversary. And (laughs) I'm still mad. That's like a hill I will die on. Like, what happened there? I didn't watch the Grammys ever again. Anyway, that was 34 years ago. I'm not over it, Um, which is amazing because I'm only 25. And if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever it is you get your podcasts and leave a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And for more recs or general bookishness, check out bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen, or just search Book Riot on your podcast player of choice. And in the meantime, happy happy reading. reading.